We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> you talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself. Because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order? Cashback guru? Low intro APR lover? With US Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or grocery store, even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. US Bank credit cards are issued by US Bank National Association ND. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. They're going to kill the love of my life. Casey! If I don't go back to what I was doing. This Friday... Our line of work is quite brutal and quite ruthless. How far would you go for love? You steal truck, bring it to me. Then you make your money. Is it dangerous? Of course it's dangerous! Nicholas Holt, Felicity Jones, with Ben Kingsley and Anthony Hopkins. All this trouble, all this pain for love. Collide in theaters Friday. Rated PG-13. Maybe inappropriate for children under 13. When you're running your own business, you're bound to be busy. Too busy. Too busy worrying about your budget. Too busy scheduling appointments. Too busy to build a website for your business. And because you're too busy, it has to be easy. And that's where Wix.com comes in. With Wix.com, it's easy for you to create your stunning website. Go to Wix.com and create your website today. It's easy and free. That's Wix.com. Welcome to the Rotowire Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by DraftKings.com, the leader in daily fantasy sports. You can use the promo code ROTOHOOPS when you deposit on DraftKings. That'll get you a free contest entry today. All right, it is Tuesday, December 29th, the year 2015. Nick Whalen here, not joined by DJ Trainer on this Tuesday as I usually am, but it is Shannon McEwen. Uh, DJ's still doing some family Christmas things, I believe. He's not in the office today, uh, but we are. So how, how was your Christmas, Shannon? It was good. Parents were in town. Um, 
spent some time with my, my brother Kyle as well. So it was a lot of fun. How about yours? It was good. Didn't really do any traveling this year. I, I have most of my family in the Minnesota, Iowa area. So, I mean, that's a good like six, seven hour drive. And we made it for Thanksgiving. So didn't do the double dip uh, and do Thanksgiving and Christmas this year. So just kind of hung out at home, saw a lot of friends from high school and it was just a nice, relaxing weekend. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Being a new homeowner kind of was the excuse for my family to come here for the oh, holiday yeah. instead. Yeah, so that was way better. No traveling. I'm going to travel this for, for the new year, though. But, mm-hmm. yeah, it was nice nice staying in town. What was your, your number one ranked gift that you received? So I'm like, I'm a child. Um, I asked for toys, uh, cartoons, okay, comic books, things like that. But my two favorite gifts were actually my most adult gifts, uh, one was a stocking stuffer, poo-pourri. Have you ever heard like of it? Like that stuff that smells like you put in like a bathroom? Yeah, yeah. It's it's poo-pourri instead of potpourri, right? And and you just spray it directly into the toilet before. Oh, okay. Before. I was going to correct your pronunciation, but no. No, yeah, yeah. It's There's great commercials online. Everyone should uh, Google it and watch them. They're hilarious. Um, I love it. I carry it with me everywhere I go. I used some this morning in the office, and, and no no one was any the wiser. You know, it was just... It was like I was in there with a bouquet of flowers. It was great. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I did not receive any poopery, unfortunately. I didn't even think to ask for that. But I did get a somewhat of a childish gift myself. I guess I got a basketball from my mom, and I actually asked for that too because I always go to the rec center or you know play pickup with you guys and. The ball that I have is like four years old, and the cover is like half wearing off it. And now I actually have a nice one. And that's one of those items that like cost just enough that I could never get myself to actually buy it. But it's like the perfect range for a for a Christmas gift. Is it like a quality regulation ball? Oh, it's your it's your TF one thousand. I think it's a TF one thousand classic. Uh, so yeah, maybe maybe I'll bring it to Roto Hoops tomorrow night, and you should. You know, and we, we can use that as the official game ball. We need we need some good balls. There. We do. We do. Are you going to be there? I will. All right. Yeah. Excellent. All right. So let's talk NBA. Uh, usually DJ and I will, will break down some of the box scores uh, from last night. There's always a huge slate on Monday. And I think we had uh, 11 or 12 games uh, on this Monday. So we won't hit on all of them. Obviously, there's some that, that don't need to be talked about. You know, looking at you, Hawks and Pacers. But there were a few storylines from last night. So we'll get into those first. Then we'll talk a little DFS uh, and then play a couple games at the end. But I mean, the big game, I think, from last night that most people are talking about was the Steph Curry versus Omri Caspi uh, duel in Golden State. Pretty surprising result in the first half, at least. Steph Curry uh, held scoreless through the first quarter for the first time all season, scoreless even into kind of the final minutes of the second quarter. But uh, at that point, him and Caspi turned it on. Curry ended up finishing with 23 points, 14 rebounds, 10 assists. Caspi, a game-high 36 points. Were you able to watch any of this one? I did watch some of it. It was pretty amazing. That second quarter in particular was was the most entertaining. I mean, Curry started the game like two for 10 or something like that. He was really off with the shot, but he was grabbing rebounds, getting assists. And then that final three minutes of the second quarter was just insane. Um, Curry and Caspi trading three-pointers. I mean, in total, they hit nine three-pointers in that final three minutes. Um, I mean, Curry's, it's, it's like you expect him to have stretches like that. You don't expect that from Caspi. Well, and the shots that Caspi was taking were like Curry type of shots, too. Were like, you know, contested fast break pull up three pointers and just, I mean, just raining it from everywhere. On the box score, it was actually on a couple of them, it actually said 
from like mid court. It didn't yeah. even say three point. They were like over thirty feet away from the basket. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, they weren't three point shots. The dude was a couple feet behind the three point line. And he was just launching them. Yeah, and it was a weird game for the Kings, too, because DeMarcus Cousins only played 12 minutes. He gets ejected in this one, uh, kind of a, a buildup of frustrations, I guess, from him. And you know, obviously, we've seen this situation before, but he had to be restrained. I think the, the clip I saw was Rudy Gay holding him back, him kind of throwing Rudy Gay to the side to, to try to you know, yell back more at the officials. So he was out after 12 minutes, which you know kind of accounts for, for what Omri Caspi was able to do, obviously getting more shots uh, with Cousins out of the game. But... I mean, this is going to be a, somewhat of a one-time thing for Caspi, right? I mean, this, this is kind of a... If you used him in your DFS lineup last night, this is maybe the one time all year that you're going to get this type of production. Yeah, career-high nine threes, career-high 36 points. Don't expect that going forward. I was lucky enough to have him in some of my DFS lineups. It's It, it really was just kind of like the perfect storm for him to have a monster game. It was also it was also weird. He played almost the entire first half, played the entire second quarter, um, came out there, played the entire th- about the I think it was the entire third quarter, and then he sat for a little bit in the fourth quarter, came in for a few minutes, and was yanked again with four or five minutes left, and it made no sense. I I don't understand George Carl. He yanked him, and Golden State was only up by like eleven points with five minutes to go. And you take out the only person who's doing any damage on the court for you. It was a really odd game. And even then, Golden State, like Steph Curry and Draymond Green sat the almost the entire fourth quarter. They were just content letting their their second string guys out there running it. Even even though they only had the ten to twelve point lead. Yeah, well, Sacramento does have a weird rotation. I mean, they're they're very thin at both of those forward spots. And obviously, you lose Cousins early in this game, and then you're down to Quincy Acey. He played 25 minutes in this one, and they really don't have a backup small forward behind Rudy Gay. It's kind of Gay and Caspi that, that play similar positions. But other than those two, I mean, you're turning into a guy like James Anderson, who's probably much more of a shooting guard than a small forward. Bellinelli, you could say the same thing about him. And and then you get down to your Karan Butlers and your, your Duye Dukin. I think Dukin's even in the D-League right now. Uh, Karan Butler, obviously, at this point in his career, isn't giving you anywhere near the production that he was five or six years ago. So this Kings team gets really thin really quick. Yeah, way more Quincy AC and uh, Jason Thompson than anyone expected last night. Yes, yes, absolutely. All right, elsewhere last night, Cleveland held on to beat Phoenix 101-97. I don't know about this Cavs here. I think I think they're they're on a little bit of a hangover after that Christmas Day loss. Obviously, they fall in blowout fashion uh, on Saturday to Portland. And, I mean, this is a depleted Suns team. Uh, Markeith Morris, we, we know what's going on with him. Uh, he didn't play in this one, still suspended. Eric Bledsoe uh, also out for Phoenix. And so you thought this was kind of an easy opportunity for Cleveland, now fully healthy with Kyrie and, and Shumpert back, to, to get back on track. And they did get the win, but, it, you know, it, I don't know if you ended up seeing the highlights in this one, but Kyrie hit basically a desperation three at the end of the shot clock. Uh, that kind of gave him this win, and that, that basically prevented the ball from going back to Phoenix uh, down one. So, I mean, the Cavs escape. you got to hand it to him. you got to give him credit for that. But at the same time, I think they would have liked to win this one a little bit more comfortably. I think part of it is Kyrie's return. They're just trying to get back and meshing the, all those pieces now. I mean, Kyrie's still limited. He only played 24 minutes last night. The interesting part to me was actually Kevin Love only playing 25 minutes. He dealt with a little bit of foul trouble, but nothing where he should have been limited under 30 minutes. I'll be curious to see how they manage it. Um, People who own Kevin Love in season-long leagues, hopefully you traded him before Kyrie returned because he's just not going to get as many shots. He's not going to have as big of a role as he did for the first couple months of the season. 
Yeah, at first in the season, you know, it seemed like they were going to, or they were kind of following through on what LeBron said in the offseason about making Kevin Love the focal point or at least getting him more involved. I don't think anyone ever believed that he was going to be, you know, as involved in the offense as LeBron was making it out to be. But, you know, of late, he's kind of sunk back into that role. And we saw that against Golden State, too. I mean, he was on the floor a lot against against the Warriors and he rebounded well, but he he just doesn't seem to have that confidence uh, offensively that, that we saw in Minnesota and it, he's playing better than last season, but still, I don't think quite to the level that they, that they expected when they brought him in. But you know, that is a fair point about Kyrie. I mean, anytime you're bringing back a guy, especially a guy that, that dominates the ball as much as he does mm-hmm. at the point guard spot, it's going to be tough to reintegrate him. Only two assists for him uh, in 24 minutes, but did have 22 points. So he's not going to play uh, in their next game. Cleveland plays, I believe tonight, uh, yeah, they're in Denver tonight. So Kyrie's going to sit this one out, but he did say this is his final uh, or the final time that he'll be sitting out a half of a back-to-back game. I mean, once after this game on Tuesday, once they once they resume, do you see Kyrie kind of getting back into you know low 30s, mid 30s as far as minutes, or do you think it'll be maybe another three or four games before they let him fully lose? I think it'll still be a few games. You'll see him get in the upper 20s, and then you know maybe a week, week and a half, two weeks from now is when he'll start playing 30 plus minutes again. Um, I, I want to talk a little bit on the Phoenix side of this. So, I mean, this they they don't have Bledsoe. They're a team in flux right now. They, they're not doing nearly as well as they thought they would this season. And, and from a season-long standpoint, it's a very interesting team for, for fantasy purposes. You've got Devin Booker entered the starting lineup last night, scored 10 points, didn't do much other than take five, six shots. Um, TJ Warren's the one who is really interesting to me. He had a really good game off the bench, played 27 minutes, finished with 23 points, five rebounds, hit four three-pointers. He's the guy who I just feel like has the most upside. Um, Devin Booker's a good young player. He's a good shooter. But TJ Warren's a guy who can come in and really kind of take over, shoulder some of that, that offensive load that Bledsoe's leaving behind. Yeah, I, I really, really like T.J. Warren. I like Devin Booker, too, but I think he's just not quite as diverse uh, as what T.J. Warren brings. I think Booker, maybe in two or three years, is going to be you know a guy that we talk about as having that kind of offensive diversity, but right now he's just kind of a shooter more than anything, and I think Warren balances shooting. I mean, he hit four threes last night, but he can still get to the hole. He can play three positions, so if you are looking for somebody to replace uh, Eric Bledsoe in this lineup, I think it is going to be Warren more than Booker. But at the same time, it looks like they're more comfortable bringing Warren off the bench and kind of keeping Booker in the backcourt alongside Brandon Knight. I mean, do you think this is going to end up being a pretty even minute split when it's all said and done? Yeah, it, it, the, the key with Warren is as long as he's getting 28 to 30 minutes, I think the production's going to be there. And, and I really do think with, with Bledsoe gone and the rotation they're currently running, um, we'll, we'll see how it works out when Markeith Morris returns to action. But he's pretty much been in the coach's doghouse all year anyways. So I do think Warren's going to see 28 to 32 minutes. Even if it's off the bench, that's fine. Eventually, he's going to... P.J. Tucker, something's going to happen to P.J. Tucker. He'll get traded. He'll just get moved to the bench as the team decides to finally play for next year. And T.J. Warren will get the run that he deserves. Yeah, P.J. Tucker is an interesting case because... Yeah, he he just doesn't see he doesn't seem like the guy that you'd want on the court when you're in this situation for Phoenix. You know, I mean, he's kind of the the glue guy, I think, and I think he almost fits better on a on a good team. And you, you can say that about anybody, I guess. But just the way that the way that he plays doesn't necessarily lend well to you know trying to get a high draft pick, I guess. And he's not he's not somebody that you look to as you know you want to get him developmental minutes. You kind of know what he is at this point. Um, and, and like you said, he's kind of preventing a guy like T.J. Warren from getting those minutes. 
Yeah, unless they go on some kind of win streak and win right. seven of eight and you know approach five hundred again, I just eventually PJ Tucker will be a much smaller part of the rotation. Yeah, and the way things are shaking out in the West, I mean, it's hard to say Phoenix is out of it. Um, you know, they're not in an ideal position, but at the same time, they're only three games back of Utah for the eight seed. So I, I don't know. We, I mean, DJ and I have talked many times about at what point in the season do you have to make that call? You know, if you're Phoenix, do you wait it out? And, you know, even if you continue to lose and, and the rest of the teams in that area, Houston, Utah, Portland, Denver, if they kind of continue to lose at the same rate as they had, I mean, can you afford to wait until, you know, mid to late January or do you think they need to act sooner? It's going to happen soon. Um, I, I do think once the calendar flips, it's kind of Christmas is kind of the point where the NBA season actually starts. So it, I think that determination is going to be made in the next couple weeks. With it, with a team like Phoenix, they're nine games under five hundred. Yes, they're close to a they're close to a playoff spot right now, but I think the management, the ownership, they all would admit they're much better off getting a lottery pick than they are going to the playoffs this season. They are, but there were and then there were reports over the summer that you know Jeff Hornacek's job was kind of on the line this year. They obviously just shook up their assistant coaches. Sounded like that wasn't necessarily Hornacek's decision, and I think the ownership wants to win now. Um, but I think the roster that they have kind of conflicts that. You know, there's only so much they can do. I, I don't see them necessarily making a move that's forced by ownership. You know, to, to acquire. I don't even know who you could acquire right now, um, you know, to turn into an instant contender. So, I mean, this might end up costing Jeff Warnasek his job when it's all said and done. But at some point, they're going to have to choose which path they want to take and whether they want to rebuild or actually gun for a seven or eight seed. But if you're going to take that path, then you know you're pretty much limited in how far you're going to advance. I mean, you're going to you're going to run into either Golden State or San Antonio or OKC in the first round, and and things are going to end up pretty or end pretty quickly, and you're going to end up with the what 15th or 16th pick and the odds the odds are with Bledsoe missing the next two months the odds are that's gonna that's gonna make the decision for them so right well and that only that almost could be good for Jeff Hornacek in that it kind of gives them a built-in excuse I guess for for the way that they've played you know it's you know they really they really don't have the option to turn it around with this roster I mean it's just not going to happen with Eric Bledsoe sitting out all right talk about Milwaukee and Dallas, uh, this is the one that I had the misfortune uh, of watching in its entirety. Dallas 103, Bucks 93. This is ugly. The Bucks are coming off, I think it was a 21-point loss on Saturday to Toronto. Uh, now they fall in Dallas. A little bit closer game probably than the score indicated. Uh, the Bucks had a chance uh, down four in this one. Chris Middleton was whistled for a, a pretty questionable charge late in the fourth quarter and, and that sent that ended up selling, sending Dallas to the free throw line to, to close it out. But um, you know, another disappointing performance from Giannis, another disappointing performance from Jabari Parker. Greg Monroe struggled a ton with Zaza Pachulia uh defensively. Uh but Pachulia had seventeen and eight himself. Uh I mean how much bucks have you been able to watch this season? I've watched quite a bit. I, I mean, it's the same old story. They're lacking the three point shooting and they're lacking rim protection. I mean, that going into the season, we knew th- those yep. were the two things that they were going to be missing. They don't have it. They don't have it with this roster. O.J. Mayo and Bayless and Middleton can hit threes. Y- you know, Giannis can can block shots, but he's not that prototypical big man. Well, he's not hanging out rim. around the rim. Yeah, either. exactly. You know, like exactly. he can block shots in a one-on-one situation, but right. he's not he's not there to to be a quote-unquote rim protector. They didn't have John Henson in this one, right? Uh, and that's maybe part of it. But at the same time, they've they've played Henson and Monroe, you know, less than twenty minutes together uh, on the season. So it, it's kind of been you know Monroe for thirty minutes, Henson for for seventeen or eighteen minutes, and you know you're basically saying. 
two-thirds of the time, we're not going to have a rim protector on the court. And obviously, that's killed Milwaukee. They didn't even have a turnover. Dallas didn't have a turnover until a few minutes into the third quarter of this game. They only finished with four turnovers. Uh, that's a season low for them and, and something that's only been done, I think, 10 times since 2010. So part of it was obviously Milwaukee not forcing turnovers. Other part of it is, you know, you got to tip your hat to, to Dallas for taking care of the ball. But this was an ugly defensive performance for the Bucks and just failing to get out on shooters time and time again. They were lucky. I mean, Dirk Nowitzki, one of seven from three. And, and from what I remember, at least five or six of those were wide open. So I mean, this could have been a, a much different result. Wes Matthews had a nice game, five threes for him. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, it was funny watching Greg Monroe try to go up against Pachulia because, you know, watching the game on Twitter, everybody's joking about, you know, Zaza return game. And, and he had some interesting comments actually after the game. Um, but the way he's able to defend, it's it's unbelievable. Like using his weight distribution, two possessions in a row, Monroe, who's as far as centers go in, in today's NBA, like might be the best like back down offensive center uh, as far as pivoting, post moves. You just don't see a lot of guys that that use the moves that he has anymore. And two possessions in a row, he was on the ground in a heap because he, he expected some resistance or a foul from Zaza, and he kind of pulled the chair out from under him, and and that, that contributed to Monroe going three of ten from the field. Zaza never gets enough credit, um, and, and I'm not I'm not a Bucks fan. I have no reason to defend the guy. Um, he's just always been a very smart, heady player. He's productive. Um, he's actually getting a chance to be productive with the Mavs. Um, he's but he's had he's had stints with the Bucks with the with the Hawks before where. He's shown he's capable of putting up these kind of stat lines. I just personally like the way he plays. I mean, really, the only reason why he doesn't get more love or hasn't gotten more run with other teams is probably because he can't block shots. It, it's, it, it comes down to like some very simple things. Like he's always he, he uses body well. He's in good position, but he can't block shots. You know, he can't. He's not a stretch player, whatever it may be. Cer- certain aspects of his game that are missing that a lot of teams focus on in today's NBA. Right. And that's the thing. I think he he's somebody that, you know, even when Milwaukee acquired him a couple of years ago, it was it wasn't exactly met with a lot of excitement. And I think he's kind of somebody that you have to watch a while to kind of realize he doesn't profile as the you know, Tyson Chandler, Serge Ibaka, Hassan Whiteside type of center that that protects the rim. But he I mean, he's able to be effective defensively in different ways. He's not he's not getting five, six blocks a game and sending him into the crowd. But He's changing shots. He's preventing guys from getting shots off, things like that. Uh, but after the game, he was asked, you know, if he took any extra pleasure in playing well against the Bucks. Obviously, Milwaukee traded him in what was basically a salary dump that enabled them to sign Monroe this summer. And Julia said, quote, absolutely, yes, that's a no-brainer. It doesn't matter how thankful you are that they traded you to Dallas to a good team and a better situation. This is a special game going against your old team. It's a personal challenge. So... I think a few people, at least after the game, and this quote came out probably 11, 11 o'clock local time, so you know a lot of people were in bed already, but there was, there was a little bit of, uh, I wouldn't say quite outrage, but I mean, do you think that Zaza meant anything by this, or it was just kind of something where you read it and it sounds a little bit more malicious than he probably intended? I don't think there's much malice behind I don't think it. So yeah, it's it's just that kind of chip that, that athletes carry on their shoulder when they're playing against another team. It's a team that traded them. It, it 
going against the guy who they essentially traded him for. Uh, you right. know, not indirectly. They traded yeah. they traded him to get Greg Monroe on their team. Right, exactly. So, and I think I think part of it maybe is just is a guy like Zaza, you know, not a native English speaker. You know, comments like this tend to come off maybe a little bit differently than intended. I think the specifically what people are upset about is the, you know, traded to a good team and a better situation comment. But you look you look at the you look at where Dallas sits right now and you look at where uh, where Milwaukee sits and it's hard to argue with that. That's true. Now let's talk about one other, one other Bucks thing. Is you'd mentioned Jabari Parker had an off night, and also he's his name's been coming up in in trade rumors. They're yes. they're not legit trade rumors. Just you know, Bill Simmons mentioned them in, in trade rumors. Now, what, what's your stance as a Bucks fan? Do you think the team should trade Jabari? It seems crazy, doesn't it, that we're even having this discussion? And, and I'm, I'm not saying that these rumors. I mean, like you said, these rumors aren't. You know, it's not Mark Stein or anything like that it's just it's more speculation than anything but i think it three months ago it would have been insane to suggest that and here we are now in late december and it's a real possibility i I don't i don't think milwaukee will trade jabari parker i think they are firmly in on him uh and it is important to remember that if we're talking total games he's basically midway through his rookie year Mm -hmm. um but that said i mean i've i've watched about as much of jabari as anyone this year and he he doesn't look great he doesn't look like he doesn't look like a future superstar to me he hasn't he hasn't necessarily played badly i'm not saying this isn't an anthony bennett situation or anything like that i mean he's been he's been effective for them in certain roles i mean he's been great on the glass he's been great um you know as a fast break guy as a finisher at the rim but is that really what you wanted from your number two overall pick you know i think he can end up being like a really really good terrence jones Derek williams like that's who when i watch him those are the guys that come to mind you know and and uh, and I had this talk with James Anderson last week. He's been out on Jabari since day one, and and he he loved the Derek Williams comparison, even when we when we talked about him during the draft. And I mean, it, it, does that really seem realistic to you right now that that's kind of the player he could end up being? I don't think so. I I think he's more of a lead dog, and he's being asked not to be one right now. I, yeah, in his 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 skills, his pluses, they kind of overlap with some of the other players on the team. I do think he's going. Jason Kidd said the other day that he believes Jabari is going to be a good stretch four in the NBA, and I do. I think he's going to be. I, I actually, I mean, what I who I compared him to most when I watched him in college was Carmelo. I thought he was Carmelo with a better post up game, essentially, and and the outside game would would develop. I still think that's there. I still think Jabari has the most upside, the highest ceiling of anybody on this team, and that's. That's with guys like Giannis, yep. you know, who are just showing flashes of, of, of ridiculousness. Jabari's still my favorite long-term play on the Bucks. That said, giving the rest of their personnel, I think they they should be open to trading them. It just depends on what you have, you have to get. You're not going to trade them for a draft pick. You're going to trade them for somebody who can help your team this year immediately. And That's long-term. the thing. That's the thing. Unless, you know... It, Unless we get to the deadline and you know Brooklyn is hasn't turned things around by any means, they're still sitting there. And if if a team like Boston, that's who you know Bill Simmons is always throwing out in these rumors. If a team like Boston's willing to give up like that unprotected Nets pick, you have to think about it. If you know you're basically saying, you know, do we take this potential lottery pick or you know lottery ticket, I guess, and a chance at Ben Simmons, uh, then you have to consider it for a pick. But yeah, like you said, otherwise you're basically if you're just going to take a pick and and hope that it's in the top three or four you're basically playing the same odds that you did in the draft two years ago and saying, mm-hmm. 
you know, we're, we're recycling this pick essentially and starting over. And, you know, who knows if you're going to get a better player or a worse player than Jabari Parker. And he, like we said, he's not, he hasn't been that bad. And the chances that you get a worse player are certainly there. So, you know, it's weird. The, the thing about Jabari to me is he just, he's not playing the same game that he was at Duke. No. You know, he's not taking any three-pointers at all. This is a guy who's taking three threes per game, which is not a ton at Duke, but he's shooting 36%. And that was a big part of, of why he was so effective. He did a lot of work off the dribble, and, and part of the reason he was able to do that is, one, he, he has great quickness for his size, and two, guys had to respect him on the perimeter. Now I mean, they're giving him the honest treatment. Basically everyone on this team outside of Middleton, Bayless, and Mayo gets that treatment. You know, they're standing with the ball at the three-point line. The defender is four or five feet off, and that makes it almost impossible to drive in, mm-hmm. and that's kind of where Giannis has struggled, and that's where he struggled at the end of last year too. So I, I do agree with you that they're trying to make Jabari play a game that he's maybe not comfortable with, and and that's kind of led to some issues for sure but yeah i don't know i'd like to see him more i guess in a featured in a primary role if this is a guy that you really think can be your number one option on a on a contending team and that's that's what they've built him as in this organization you can't have him out there as your fourth offensive option when he's on the floor totally i totally agree with that it's it, when i think about trade part trade partners who you'd want to get a young player with upside who fills one of those holes that you have so you have you need a shot blocker, a rim protector, or you need somebody who can nail threes. I think the stretch, a stretch four would work, but then you're also looking at, okay, what kind of stretch fours would be available? You're not going to trade Jabari for Ryan Anderson. No. You, you know, you need, even if it's like a package of Ryan Anderson and Drew Holiday. or whatever. He's still such a big name that you could get a great return. Yes, I do you know? believe that. It's, I mean, one, one team that kind of interests me is is Philadelphia. You I think mm. you could get a package with like Nerlens. I think Nerlens would work well. He would be the rim protector. I just I also think you're going to run into problems where he doesn't he he bogs down or he bogs down the offense too much. You're seeing it with him in Okafor in Philly and it's going to be the same thing with Monroe and Nerlens. So it, it, he's not the only answer. You need something more from Philadelphia for that to work or to get like an additional uh, person who can space the floor in a, via a three-team deal or something along those lines. Yeah, I agree. With, I don't think that necessarily solves their issue of, of spacing. No, no, you know, like they no. could play John Henson alongside Monroe if they wanted. That, I mean, John Henson, I feel like, is kind of analogous to, to Nerland's Noel. Yeah, I, don't know, I don't know if Noel is a huge upgrade from Henson. I think their skill sets are really similar. I don't, th- I don't know if that necessarily solves the spacing issue. You need to get a four. If you, you need a stretch four, you can shoot. And that, maybe that's going to be Jabari in a couple of years. But I mean, can you think of any reason why they're not encouraging to shoot the three? I mean, when you watch, it's clear that he's not even looking for the shot. I think he's taken two or three on the entire season. And it's not like he doesn't have opportunities. And when we saw him take plenty of threes off the dribble at Duke at I don't have any insider info. I haven't, you know, I haven't been able to talk to Jason Kidd about it, but it, it certainly seems like the coaching staff has basically told him, we don't want you operating, you know, outside of 20 feet. Yeah. My guess would be they're just not seeing enough from him, enough consistency behind, behind closed doors to give him those opportunities or give him the green light from out there during the game. Yeah. It's just, it's just tough to see where this, you know, where this goes next season even. And, you know, the, the way things are looking right now, it, it doesn't look like Parker or this Bucks team is really in for a dramatic turnaround uh, the, the way that they've played and the way that they're built. And, you know, next year, it's not like they're going to, you know, their core is still going to be there next year. Giannis obviously under contract with a, a max deal likely coming. Middleton's locked up. Monroe's locked up through next year. Um, you know, it's not like, it's not like they're going to, they're going to clear the way for Jabari Parker to take over more. 
I mean, that that's a little bit of what concerns me going forward is where's the you know where's the growth potential there if Jabari's going to be the number one guy that means you're taking away maybe some of Giannis's responsibilities maybe some of Monroe's and that the way that they built this team they have they go like seven or eight deep with some pretty good players but nobody's really separated themselves you know they right. they they're almost they're almost too deep with mediocrity I mean even you get into Tyler Ennis Miles Plumley those guys can play but you know are they are they really markedly better than than any of the bench units from other teams probably not i mean basically the bucks have three or four pretty decent starters and then just a bunch of bench guys so the option there might just be maybe the top choice be patient and just hope that Giannis and jabari do develop Mm -hmm. into even more than what they have so far so right I, i think that's kind of the route they have to take unless somebody makes you you know some sort of godfather offer and in the one, the one that's intriguing to me is like I think you center a package around Parker to get Demarcus Cousins. I don't I don't know how Demarcus Cousins would feel about going to Milwaukee. Uh, I would assume not great, but I don't know if another team would be willing to offer an upside of a player like Jabari to the Kings. Probably not. Um, I mean, most most of the packages that are going to be for Cousins will be you're going to have some contract in there and expiring you contract, have whatever. To maybe to match, yeah. to match with Cousins, and then they're going to be draft picks, but. You know, unless you can guarantee somebody Ben Simmons, what what draft picks better than Jabari Parker? Because right. twenty year old guy who who's I still think is one of the best prospects in the NBA, and I think I think he is. I think you have to make that case. I, I think a lot of people would agree with you too. I mean, there are certainly people who are out on Parker, but I think if you talk to to NBA scouts or NBA GMs, it wouldn't be a resounding. You know, we're worried about this guy, and it's not, he's not a guy with work ethic issues or character issues or anything like that. And I think guys like that generally get more benefit of the doubt and and are given a little bit of a longer leash to develop. Um, looking at a little bit more of the games from Monday night, uh, we had Charlotte knocking off the Lakers, one hundred eight ninety eight. Kobe back on the struggle bus, five of twenty shooting for him, but thirty eight <laughs> points uh, for Kemba Walker in this one. Nick Batum continues to play well; he had fifteen and eleven. Cody Zeller sixteen points and eight rebounds in this one. Uh, did you have Kemba Walker going anywhere in daily? I didn't. And it, I always tell Ken, I always tell Ken Kreitz during our Friday show, I say, always start whoever's playing the Lakers, start that point guard. And I did not start Kemba. He had 60 fantasy points last night. He was a monster. Um, I'm really disappointed in myself for not playing him. Um, the, it, this game's crazy to me. L. Jefferson only played 14 minutes off the bench too. Yeah. Three points, four rebounds, and then you've got Zeller, who started 16-8. and eight. And this team's winning. They're 17-3 and three now. I mean, L. Jefferson's missed significant time, and they've continued to win because, because Kemba Walker's playing well. Nick Batum's doing really good. Jeremy Lin's carved out a nice role off the bench where he's kind of that spark plug, provides some offense. I mean, you look at the names, and it's not a very exciting team, but they keep winning. And, and, and this is without L. Jefferson being the main contributor like he was last season. So I'm curious where it goes from here for Al Jefferson. I really, I wouldn't be surprised if he is a name that's on the trading block in the very near future. I mean, just with the way they're rolling them out right now, they they don't really need them. Right. It's funny to say, you know, this this team keeps winning. They're the nine seed right now, but they're somehow three and a half games out of the one seed. I mean, that's basically what the story of the East right now is. You know, there's a basically eleven teams that are that are in contention uh, for seeds in my mind two through eight i think the Cavs are gonna are gonna turn it on at some point and, and lock up that number one but no i do agree with you on jefferson and looking at his contract it is up after this season so he's an ex, he's an expiring deal and i think that certainly makes him an attractive ad uh for certain teams but 
I mean, we've, we're seeing kind of centers like him struggle now. I mean, Greg Monroe, you could kind of throw in that same boat too. guys who kind of have that old school back down game. Don't really bring a ton defensively. You know, you're asking him to go chase around some of the more athletic centers. Teams go small. You're asking Al Jefferson to go run around with Kevin Love, Chris Bosh on the perimeter, you know, stretch guys like that. And they struggle to defend and, not only without Al Jefferson have, have the Hornets been good, but Michael Kidd Gilchrist too. And like the, the jump from Gilchrist to Batum, I think is what's made maybe the bigger difference. I mean, the first two years, Al Jefferson was good in Charlotte. He averaged 21, 22 and 11, and then 16 and a half and eight and a half. They made the playoffs one of those seasons, but they've never been, they, they were never, I don't think they were ever four games over 500 at any point, um, even the year they made the playoffs. So it, it, they're playing as good of basketball as they have in quite a while and it's without al jefferson being being a contributor so it is odd to me i still think the back to the basket center can be effective in today's nba you just have to have the right mix of players um this team this team still relies primarily on defense and al jefferson's not a great defensive player so that could be a part of the reason why they're doing better with him out yeah i think you hit it right on the head like you if you're gonna have that center you need it basically says, you know, you need to have a stretch four here, and it kind of requires you to to get that right mixture of personnel around them. And if you don't, you know, we've seen it kind of blow up, and Milwaukee is a perfect example of that. If you don't put shooting around a center like that and you don't put rim protection around him, then you're going to get beat on most nights. But it's interesting to look at the contrast in Charlotte's game, you know, this year compared to last. I mean, how, they, uh, how they've turned it around as far as, you know, three-point shooting. They're one of the better three-point shooting teams in the entire league uh, after, after trailing in that category last year. I think they were the worst uh, three-point percentage team in 2014-15. This year, uh, they're right in the middle of the pack as far as percentage, just above league average, but they have the fourth most attempts. And, you know, when you're without Al Jefferson, out Marvin Williams is playing a bunch more minutes. You're without Michael Kidd-Gilchrist, who never shoots threes. And then you bring in Nick Batum, a guy who's a very good three-point shooter and a volume three-point shooter. They, they don't even look like the same team. They don't play like the same team. And it really is amazing. I mean, with, with guys, you expect three points from Nick Batum. Kemba Walker, I would never call a good three-point shooter. But he's hitting three-pointers. He, he has the capability of hit threes. Uh, Marvin Williams, he plays either forward position. He can hit threes, but again, not a good three-point shooter. He's just capable. Um, P.J. Harrison, he's the guy who's hitting threes for him. But really, it's it's almost just that one player. It's like Nick Batum gets yeah. inserted in the lineup and good things happen. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not really surprising, I guess, but considering how how bad he was in Portland last year, and, and I think injuries were certainly a part of that and just kind of an overall down year. But, I mean, he's firmly back. Is either he or Kemba an all-star to you? Um, I would say Nick Batum, I would put him above Kemba just because mm-hmm. I think there are other point guard options that I would still um, put on the all-star team over Kemba. You know, such John Wall would be one. Well, Kyrie's Kyrie, second in voting. Second in vote, so he's probably you know he's going to make he's the team. Get in, yeah. But should he? No. It, it it's tough. I, I think Nick Batum's the guy. There's not many shooting guards. Um, even though I still consider Batum more of a small forward, mm-hmm. there's not many shooting guards out there to choose from, and he's one of the best this season. Yeah. All right, Clippers. Uh, the main story from this game, as I try to bring up the score here, Clippers 108, Washington 91. Chris Paul dunked twice in this game, uh, both early in the second quarter, eliciting some of the better bench reactions that we've seen. But 23.7 assists, five rebounds in only 27 minutes for Chris Paul. He took 20 shots. Is this basically what you were expecting now with Blake Griffin out for him to take on a larger role? 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, DeAndre Jordan's the guy in the front court, right? But he's not. He's never going to be a high volume shooter, or high, you know, he's never. Yeah, you can't. You can't say, oh, DeAndre Jordan is going to take more shots now. You yeah, know? exactly. He only took six shots last night. He went. He went three for six from the free throw line, which is actually pretty good for him. Um, Huge night. Yeah, <laughs> but it, it's going to be Chris Paul. It's going to be Jamal Crawford, and, and also JJ Redick. You're going to have those guards who are going to pick up the slack on offense. With Chris Paul, Chris Paul and Jamal Crawford being the primary two, and you saw that last night, they combined for 44 points. So big things from Chris Paul. I wouldn't expect him to dunk very much going forward, but yes, he's going to score lots of points. Now. Yeah, I don't know if there are any daily sites that give extra points for dunks, but but if so, uh, Paul gave you that. Jamal Crawford at 21 off the bench. Cole Aldrich has actually looked surprisingly decent for this team. I mean, a guy whose career was basically over, it seemed like a couple of years ago, but uh, playing, playing decent minutes off the bench as the backup to DeAndre Jordan, just three of nine from the field, but 13 points, six rebounds, three assists, four steals and a block. Um, I mean, is he a guy you're willing to ever take a chance on really in daily? The odds are no. He played 20 minutes last night. I don't expect him to see 20 minutes on a regular basis. Josh Smith didn't get off the bench. I think he's kind of in the coach's doghouse a little bit right now. I but, think he might be. But but I do expect him to get his way, work his way back into the rotation and steal minutes from guys like Cole Aldridge. All right, the Heat fell to the Nets last night. Uh, this Miami team continues to just pile up weird losses, you know, and, and then a big win over... Uh, over the Pelicans on Christmas. We're still not sure if the Pelicans are any good. It certainly doesn't seem so, but kind of an inexplicable loss to it. has been a pretty bad Nets team. Brooke Lopez went for 26 and 12. Jarrett Jack, 18 points. Um, Hassan Whiteside had a decent game for, for Miami, 18, 11, and 5, but Goran Dragic really struggled, just nine points for him. Um, I mean, what do you think about this Heat team overall? I think they, they were kind of the trendy, maybe number two pick to challenge uh, the, the Cavs in the East, but right now they're just kind of caught in that muck of, of second-tier teams in the East. I think they're going to take a step. I I, uh, I expect them to finish top four in the East. I, it's just going to take a little bit more time. Dragic's really struggled in the role that he has playing alongside Dwayne Wade. But I've, as the season wears on, you're going to see them develop more chemistry, be better. Chris Bosch has been fantastic this year. You know, White Sides, big rebounder, big shot blocker. I still love the talent on the team. It's just it's just a matter of them meshing and playing more together. I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, they're 18 and 12 right now. I wouldn't be surprised if you see them go on a pretty nice run where they win 15 of 20 or something along those lines and really start to separate themselves from some of the other third-tier teams in the East. I, I, I still consider the Heat a second-tier team with the Cavs really being the only one first-tier team in the East. Yeah, I mean, you look at Atlanta and Indiana, Toronto, Chicago, those are kind of the... Those are the teams that I look at at least as a little bit more proven than the other teams in that area, Orlando, Boston, Charlotte, Detroit. I mean, you got guys, Atlanta obviously was a one seed last year. Indiana has Paul George. They were, you know, they were a perennial Eastern Conference team a few years back. They have that experience. Obviously, Miami has championship experience, and, and Toronto's kind of been hanging around that, that upper middle tier of the East for the last few years. Chicago the same way. I, I mean, I want to like Miami. If you have to pick, if, you, if you're going to look at a team that's built for the playoffs, I think it's them. You know, when it comes down to, you know, the rotation shorten up a little bit, their their issues they don't have a very long bench, but they have a great, you know, top six or seven. And I think if they can be healthy going into the playoffs, 
they have the edge certainly on on those teams below them in the east right now i think they they match up fairly evenly with teams like atlanta and indiana uh, i think paul george is probably the, the best non-lebron james player in the east right now so that that's certainly an edge in the playoffs but i mean this is going to be a complete mess i really don't see this getting sorted out honestly i mean we're we're a third of the way into the season and or over a third of the way into the year and it's really not clear which of these two through 11 teams is any better than than the next I th- I think we it will get sorted out because the Cavs are the clear cut number one to me. Chicago and Miami are two and three. They're not playing like it right now. Miami, you've got you've got some new piece. You've got Dragic. Basically, he's the one new piece. That I mean, how many games did he play with Miami last year? Maybe twenty five. Not a ton. Yeah, it wasn't a ton of games. Well, you know, once they once they mesh together, get better chemistry, the team's going to pre- perform better. I mean, Gerald Green's new to that team. Then with Chicago, it's it's a new coach, and I think that's really the big part right now. They're tinkering with their rotations, the lineups, trying to figure out the best best matches. I still you look at from ta- talent wise, Chicago's top five or six, just as good as Miami's, just as good as some of the other teams out there. I really think that Miami, Chicago, maybe flip them, you know, flip them around. Those are going to be the second, third seeds in the East. I think those are the two most talented teams. And when you talk about Chicago, it's, it's not only the coaching change, it's a change from a drastic, drastic change in styles. You know, you're going from, you know, kind of the most defensive oriented type of coach to a coach who wants to open things up a lot more. So you're, yeah, you're not only adjusting to a new personality and, and a new kind of way that the, that the organization is run, but just a completely different style of basketball. And, we, and we've seen that be a rough adjustment period. And they've, they've pulled off some big wins. I mean, Oklahoma City on Christmas Day was huge, but they've also been blown out by 40 at home by Charlotte. You know, stuff that wouldn't have happened under the, under the old Tibbs right, uh, era right. Bulls. So, yeah, it's going to take some time. I think those are two teams that even if they don't end up finishing as the two and three seeds, you still don't want to, you don't want to be playing in Chicago, you know, in the first round, if you're Definitely a team, like, if you're a team like Charlotte or, or Atlanta or Indiana, but think about the heat is they just can't shoot the three. This is a team that shoots at 33% from three, the fifth fewest attempts in the league. And, and that's kind of been their issue. When you, when you played Dwayne Wade, such, such huge minutes, a guy who doesn't shoot threes at the shooting guard spot, you have that issue. Justice Winslow has been really good for them defensively and as a playmaker, but he can't really shoot. Gerald Green is about as streaky as it gets. So that's the biggest concern for me with them. You could argue that Chris Bosh is their best three-point Good. shooter, which is insane. I mean, you could make a – I don't know. if you, Who else would you even argue at this point? Drogic certainly isn't a great three-point shooter. Whiteside. Chris Bosh is hitting 1.73s, taking 4.2, and, and knocking down 40% of them. So. He's, been, he's been a really, really good – like possibly underrated even three-point shooter kind of going he's kind of gone from a stretch four to an actual legitimate uh three-point shooting threat quick question guess how many career assists hassan whiteside has oh man career um, assists career this, assists this is in roughly oh, this is 97 games 97 games i will go with 105 12 is <laughs> 12 career assists six last season six this season that's that's amazing. 12. How do you not even luck your way into grab offensive rebound, kick it out for a three? 12. Well, I, 70% of his touches on offense are probably just offensive rebounds that he immediately puts back. Oh, up. yeah, sure. I mean, like, there's obviously a reason for this, but, I mean, you, you can luck your way into an assist a game, you would think. I mean, this is like an assist, what, one every, like, eight games? That's crazy. Um, all right, do you want to talk some DFS? Let's do it. All right, five games on the slate tonight 
we'll start. We'll go by position, I guess, and kind of talk about guys that we like. Bucks at Thunder. Cleveland is in Denver. The Pistons are at the Knicks. The Hawks are at the Rockets. And Miami is in Memphis tonight. I like Russell Westbrook. Throw out a hot take. They're going up against that Milwaukee backcourt. The Bucks play at a slow pace, but they've all, they're also a team that gets pushed around and basically plays at whatever pace the opponent wants to play at a lot of times. And I mean, I think Westbrook is kind of a clear a clear option to to have a field day against Bayless and MCW. Westbrook's always going to be a good play. Um, he's playing really strong right now. Basically, racking up fifty point fancy games, even with Durant back. I mean, there was a slight dip when Durant first returned, but now he's back to putting up fifty points every single game. I don't hate him. I love him, but he's he's really expensive. I actually like the other side of that that contest and, and Michael Carter Williams. MCW is cheaper. You see a lot of opposing. I mean, Oklahoma's defense against opposing point guards ranks right in the middle. It's like 15. But you see a lot of opposing point guards actually have big games against Russ. And Carter Williams did it last year. He had over 40 points, uh, 40 fantasy points against him, dropped like 14 assists in a game against OKC. And I expect him to have a good game. The only worry about the Bucks is it's the second, you know, second night of a back-to-back. So, you know, we'll see. We'll see if they can actually bring it tonight um, in a tough matchup on the road. Carter Williams only played 21 minutes last night. He came out, I think it was around the four-minute mark in the third quarter and didn't come back. And that's a little concerning to me. I mean, Bayless missed, I think it was 11 games with an ankle injury. He was back last night. And with, with Bayless back in the mix, I, I, you got to wonder, you know, what that split's going to be. Like, can you trust that Carter Williams is going to get 30 minutes? I don't know that you can. Carter Williams was playing really, really well for, for a good eight-game stretch prior to last night. Um, Bayless and Mayo both had strong games last night. They were they both came off the bench, played well. I don't expect both of them to play as well tonight as they did last night. And, and then MCW will still right. get Bayless 30, was Bayless was incredible last night. He was he was Milwaukee's best player in that game, kind of hitting everything. So you know him playing 27 minutes maybe is a bit of an anomaly. He's like you said, if he's not playing that well, he probably doesn't stay in for the entire fourth quarter. But yeah, I mean. The, I think Russell Westbrook kind of gets mislabeled as a great defender and he's a good defender, but he's also, you know, takes a lot of chances type of defender, a guy who, you know, kind of profiles as, as, you know, he looks like he'd be a good defender, I guess. It's like the body of, you know, the quickness, everything seems like it's there, but he takes so many chances that it does give you openings, but just the way that, that Carter Williams doesn't bring any kind of shooting threat whatsoever. I think Russell play off of him. I think, you know, whoever's basically defending him is going to be sitting two or three feet off. And, and with guys like Cantor and, and Ibaka and Steven Adams in the lane, it, it's going to be tough for him to finish those floaters. It's tough for superstar players to be great defensive players as well because a lot of times they're not asked to be, and they don't want to pick up unnecessary fouls, get into yep. foul trouble, be stuck on the bench. You know, Westbrook, he's got a lot of heart. He's got a lot of hustle. But I personally, I don't think he's all that good at defense. You like Jameer Nelson tonight? Loving Jameer Nelson. Um, Moutier's out until at least January 2nd, uh, most likely at least, and that means Nelson's going to be starting again. You know, he's had a couple games where he wasn't too great while subbing in for Moutier, but he also was dealing with an illness for one of those. I mean, the the past game, he played 43 minutes, and that's my point about OKC as well. Um, Nelson played 43 minutes against OKC a couple nights ago. He had 33 fantasy points, 15 points, 8 rebounds, 5 assists. Nelson's not the type of guy who you'd expect to put up a quality line against Westbrook, but he did. So that's why I like MCW tonight. 
Right, well, I don't Nelson. Need, yeah, I mean, I don't need, I don't like Jameer Nelson. I think that's the wrong word, but like when I like anybody that's playing that kind of minutes load. Oh you know? yeah, like you exactly. just kind of like exactly. it doesn't matter who it is. Jameer Nelson is a bottom tier point guard in this league. There, there are a lot of Jared Jacks kind of in a similar situation in Brooklyn. It's like yep. I, we're not saying we love Jared Jack. We're just saying we love X guy playing thirty eight minutes a night. Nelson's fifty six hundred on DraftKings. He's probably good for 14, 15 points, five, six assists. So that's quality. That's right. quality production for that price tag. All right. What about another nugget? Will Barton. Uh, I want to get your take on him. This is a guy that I've always liked a lot from the from his college days. Never really saw this coming. Uh, the way he's played. Obviously, the Nuggets haven't haven't been a good team, but he's kind of been one of their pleasant surprises. A uh, guy who has at least thirty fantasy points uh, in seven of his last ten games at a fifty-two Fanduel point game uh, against New Orleans a few weeks ago. Thirty-two points, ten rebounds, six assists, uh, and a guy who d's it up pretty well too. Can give you some steals, can give you a few blocks every now and then. Um, I mean, at what point are you going to be ready to trust Will Barton as like a legitimate, you know, maybe fifth or sixth best shooting guard on a lot of nights? He's already there. I mean, he's he's 6,900 on DraftKings tonight. He's averaging 30 fantasy points per game for the season, not just over the past two weeks or anything like that. I mean, for the entire season, he's a 30-point-per-game player. And it's it's been pretty unbelievable. I've never been actually that big of a fan. I think I think this is his ceiling. I don't don't think we're ever going to see yep. Will Barton be better than what he's been in the past two weeks. But you know, sixty nine hundred dollars, thirty points. That's solid production. You've got Moudier's out as as we discussed, and then also Gallinari's going to miss Wednesday night or Tuesday night's game as well. I mean, with Gallinari out, that really makes Will Barton kind of the number one option on offense. And you see it with his usage. I mean, he had 21 attempts, 15 attempts, 14 attempts, 16 attempts. He's getting tons of shots, and it's going to be the same tonight. Yeah, three games this season only uh, that he didn't score in double figures. So, I mean, about as high of a floor for a guy in in that price range as you're going to find. But I do agree with you. I don't know. I, I feel I kind of feel for the team that's going to throw like a four for 70 offer at him in free agency whenever he whenever he hits the market. There's just no way. Will Barton is the type of guy who you want to have be your sixth or seventh best player. Maybe, maybe. And right now with the Denver Nuggets, he's their second best player. Maybe. I mean, he's playing he like their, be their best. Player. He's playing like their best right now. But I would I would argue Gallinari and Farid are still better. But yeah, he's playing like their best. I just don't think he's ever going to be in a position like this again. Um, just classic bad team, good stats uh, scenario. How do you feel about James Harden tonight going up against Atlanta? I don't love the matchup against Atlanta, but with shooting guard, there's there's not many other options. You have Will Barton and then James Harden. Those are the only two I want to start. So if if I'm in a, if I'm playing on a site that has to start two shooting guards, I'm probably going to slot one of those guys in. I feel like at the other positions, you can find enough uh, matches. You know, whether like at point guard, you can go Jameer Nelson and then one of the other options like Michael Carter Williams. With shooting guard, there's only those two. I'm going to be starting one of those two or both of them, uh, Harden and Barton, in every lineup. All right, let's look at the small forward spot. One of the guys I'd kind of like tonight is Marcus Morris, and and he kind of fits in that category with Jimmy Nelson of players who whose game I don't necessarily love, but guys who are getting huge minutes. I mean, uh, Stan Van Gundy has been playing the starting five, you know, as many minutes as, as just about anyone uh, or as any team, I should say, in the league. I and mean, Contavious Coldwell Pope playing massive minutes, same for Drummond, Reggie Jackson, Morris, and even Ilya Sova. Uh, and Marcus Morris coming off a 33 point fantasy game and a 23 point fantasy game in his last two. I kind of like his matchup with Carmelo Anthony. It's 
the Knicks surprisingly have been good against opposing small forwards. They're fourth fourth stingiest team in the league against opposing small forwards. I don't hate Marcus Morris. He's a good option if you're looking to go cheaper at the position. Um, personally, I like Giannis. He's 6,500 on DraftKings. Um, Carmelo Anthony is actually a guy who I'm, I'm going with in a lot of areas. Uh, Detroit's another team that's good against opposing small forwards. But Carmelo's starting to turn it on. He's got back-to-back 40-point fantasy outings. Three of the last four games, 40, he's topped 40 points. And he's only 8,300, so he's about two grand cheaper than LeBron or Durant. And you're going to have somebody who has 40, 50-point upside. Yeah, that's the thing about Carmelo is he's, he's kind of fallen back out of the you know super, superstar tier of guys. And, and Dwayne Wade's kind of in that same category, too. Like, I mean, obviously, Melo's not the player at, at this point that, that LeBron or Durant or other guys at that position are. But, I mean, he still has the potential to, to go off like those guys can on just about any night. And you, you get him at that value. Um, who else are you looking at at the small forward spot? Luau Dang's an interesting guy, and, and so is Jeff, Jeff Green. They play against each other. Um, they're both cheaper. They're, I don't love either. They're inconsistent, but both can go out, have you know, score 18 points, grab six rebounds, and put together a decent fantasy line. So if you need to go cheaper at that position, Luau Dang, Jeff Green, and then Marcus Morris are the guys to look at. Yeah, talking about that Heat team, I do like Chris Bosh at, at power forward uh, again tonight going up against Memphis and this is a Memphis team that still, I think, has that reputation of being a, you know, a great defensive team, but that obviously hasn't been the case at all this year. They're trying out different personnel groups. Those haven't really worked. And I don't know who you, I mean, who's going to be guarding Chris Bosh in this one? If it's Zach Randolph, who's been coming off the bench, um, you know, I think you like that matchup for Bosh, kind of being able to bring Randolph away from the basket. If it's Marcus Saul, you're bringing him away from the basket as well. So okay. I think. Matt Barnes Matt and Jeff Barnes, Green will right. be matched up. At, yeah, I think. I mean, well. Jeff Green maybe isn't the worst matchup for Bosch, but at that point, you're giving up three inches and and you know probably fifteen twenty pounds. So, <laughs> I mean, Bosch is still a, a matchup problem for a lot of teams. So I do like him quite a bit. I think Paul Millsap has been about as underrated as anyone as far as contributing across every category. He's always a strong play, and I know you like Kenneth Farid. Yeah, with with Bosch, I like Bosch. He's averaging thirty six fantasy points a game. He only costs seventy one hundred. It's you don't find many guys who cost just around seven thousand and are averaging that many fantasy points per game. I mean, in in comparison, Kevin Love costs seventy six hundred and he's only averaging one more fantasy point per game. I mean, they're basically the same player, but one's five hundred dollars more expensive because of name value, essentially. Chris Bosch, I just don't love the matchup. I think the Miami Heat-Memphis game is going to be like a 90-92 type game. It's going to be really boring. There's not going to be a lot of stats. Um, instead, I'm going to go a little bit cheaper and target either Serge Ibaka or Kenneth Fareed. Um, Fareed, 6,100. Ibaka, 66. Both have better matchups. And they're, they're those guys who get – they're pretty much a shoe in for 25 to 30 fantasy points. And occasionally, they'll put together a monster game with – with a bucket, it's because he'll have five blocks. With Fareed, he'll he'll grab fifteen rebounds or do something that it only happens once every two weeks. But but it is it is out there and it's a possibility. Yeah, I do like the Ibaka pick uh, going up against Milwaukee. I mean, we we talked about their struggles defending the three. I think he's going to have a ton of open looks, and and he's another guy similar to Bosch that if he's matched up with Greg Monroe, if he's in at center, 
you know, that's a, that's an ideal matchup. You're bringing Monroe away from the basket, and and Ibaka's a guy who can hurt you both around the basket and on the perimeter. Milwaukee has gotten better as a rebounding team, but they're still last in the league in defensive rebounding rate, and, and Oklahoma City is the best rebounding team in the league. So I, I like Enos Cantor as well. If you can, if basically if you can fit any front court uh, Oklahoma City Thunder in your lineup, uh, you should try to do it. Yeah, Cantor's my top choice uh, at center for DraftKings tonight, mainly because of his value, $4,900. He's got three straight games of 33 or more fantasy points, and you just don't get that type of production at that price tag, um, even in limited minutes. He's only playing 22 to right, 25 that's the thing. minutes I mean, if, a game. If you get into the situation where he plays more than 25 you know, into the into the <laughs> low 30s, I mean, that's when you're really going to profit. Um, all right, what about Andre Drummond? He's the one guy I wanted to finish out with, uh, finish out with a piston. I mean, Drummond's a beast. 18, 18 points, 16 rebounds a game. So you love him. There's still, he's one of those, he's averaging 47 fantasy points per game. He's only $9,400. So there's anyone else who averages 45 fantasy points or more, they all cost over 10000 So it's pretty absurd that he's that low. But the pro, and even back to back games of over 50 points, he had 74 fantasy points a couple weeks ago against Chicago. The matchup is pretty good. I like the matchup against New York. I don't think it's going to be the fastest-paced game here, though. No. It's probably got the second um, lowest over-under of the night behind the, the Memphis-Miami uh, Memphis, game. But if you can fit Drummond into your lineup at 9,400 on draftings, do it. Um, you know, he's getting, he's, I think he's pretty much a lock for 40 or 50 fantasy points tonight against New York. Well, he's, I mean, the thing about Drummond is his floor is so ridiculously high at this point that he, it's almost impossible for him to, to burn you. I mean, what, uh, even if he goes for, I mean, 11 points and 12 rebounds, you know, looking at his, his game log is like far and away kind of the, the lowest output, excuse me, eight points and 11 rebounds against Indiana earlier in the month. And like, that's still 27 fantasy points uh, on FanDuel. So, I mean, obviously not what you're looking for when you're paying that kind of price, but he's also not a guy who, you know, just going to put up a complete no-show. No, he won't. And it, it's pretty, it, even those games where, those two games where he has 8 and 10 or 8 and 11, those games are few and far between this season. I mean, he's only done that like four times this year. Most nights you're going to have an off night from him is 15 and 12. Right. And and when you talk about an off night for a guy, you know, we talked about Mello earlier and he can have an off night and go, you know, four for 20 from the field. And, and that's all he's going to give you. When Drummond can have an off shooting night, but he's still going to give you 19 rebounds to kind of compensate for that. You know, it's it, guys don't seem to have off rebounding nights as much as they do off shooting nights. Yeah, you're exactly. just kind of mitigating your risk there. All right, real quickly, let's go through. We'll play a little buyer or seller. And we talked about a couple of these teams. Uh, Phoenix was one of them and, you know, whether or not they need to make moves. So I got a list of a few teams here. Uh, obviously, we're a ways out from the trade deadline, but basically we're just going to want to go through and, and ask you if you think that these teams should should stick it out and try to contend for a playoff spot or try to make a move. And we'll start with New Orleans. Um, and they've been one of the more talked about teams, obviously hit with a ton of injuries early in the season. They still sit near the bottom of the Western Conference. Um, and Anthony Davis been banged up of late. He left their game, uh, I believe it was last night, briefly. They're sitting at 10 and 21. I mean, they're, on, they're only uh, five and a half up on the Lakers out of the basement. They're behind Minnesota. Uh, but 10 and 21 still only leaves you four games back of the Jazz for the eight seed. So if you're in New Orleans, you're starting to get healthy. Uh, you know, you want Anthony Davis to start playing like uh, the MVP candidate that he thought he would be. 
did you try to stick it out and and maybe give Utah or Memphis or Houston a run for that seven or eight seed? Um, or are you trying to move some of your expiring deals and play for next season? I mean, it looks hopeless at 10 and 21, but as you mentioned, they're only four games out of that eight seed you know, behind Utah. I think they stick it out for as long as they possibly can, but unless they unless they start creeping up and they're in that ninth, you know, ninth, tenth seed, only a couple games out of playoffs come February first, then they're going to start shopping around. They're going to trade Ryan Anderson, maybe look to trade Drew Holiday or Tyreek Evans, Eric Gordon, any of those backcourt guys. But personally, I think they should sell now. They should just go ahead and sell. And, and you're right, do do the ninety nine Spurs approach. Try to get Ben Simmons. Try to land a high lottery pick. Yeah, I mean, kind of what you hear from from sources you know, that have knowledge of these type of trade situations is that teams, you know, the interest isn't there right now for a guy like Eric Gordon, who's an expiring deal, Ryan Anderson, expiring deal. And, and that's not to say that teams don't want him, but I think it's more of teams right now can't decide with the way that the standings look teams can't decide whether or not they want to buy or sell you know so i think it's hard to find a partner and, and maybe that's why they'll end up waiting probably until the trade deadline even if they do kind of want to go for it if they're still floating around three or four games back of the seven or eight spot i think they could still try to move eric gordon or ryan anderson too like we said both guys are on expiring deals that they probably stand to lose at least one of them in the offseason anyway uh, so you might as well try to flip one for a draft pick right i mean almost like a kevin love type of situation neither of those players uh is is of the caliber of kevin love when he was in minnesota but if you're going to lose them anyway, you might as well try to flip them for an asset. Unless they're close to the playoffs, they're definitely going to flip them for assets. I mean, and you look at the teams that are above them. Portland's taken a huge step back this year, and, and that was expected. Denver's horrible. Sacramento's not good. Phoenix is taking a step back. Minnesota hasn't took a step step forward yet. So these are all teams above them directly, directly in the standings. They can leapfrog all those teams, and I think they will. Um, even if they trade some of those guys, even if they trade Eric Gordon or trade Ryan Anderson, they could still leapfrog those teams because Anthony Davis is that good. Right, absolutely. But the, the question with them is, even if you do get in, you know, you're going to San Antonio or you're going to Golden State in the first round. I mean, at what point do you kind of mortgage the the revenue of two home playoff games versus you know a higher draft pick? It's it's tough. I, I think when you have a franchise player like Anthony Davis. You want him to get that playoff experience. You want him to start winning and just create that culture of winning. So it's not necessarily a bad thing. But I I would say it depends on how the next few weeks go for him. If they're, if they're right there with Utah battling for one of the last seeds in the playoffs, then I don't expect them to sell off. Because what's, what's two months of Ryan Anderson going to get you? Um, it's a middling pick or, or some player... It's tough. It depends. I mean, if they well, can get if they can get a quality young player with upside who would be a good fit for for their next step of their rebuilding process, then okay. But I don't think a pick, a twenty fourth overall pick in the first round, is necessarily the answer. No, that's true. But I mean, but it is tough. Like, tough to speculate what teams would be willing to give up. You know, if it, if there's a team, I don't know, just Toronto for example, or even Chicago. You know, they want to shake things up. They want to try to get that move to to kind of elevate their their playoff chances or their contention chances at least. You know, and they're willing to give up a higher pick or they're willing to give up a younger asset, then I think maybe you make that move. But you know, like you said originally, I don't think we're gonna see we're not gonna see teams get that desperate or or willing to give up those kind of assets until we get closer to the deadline. Uh what about Boston? 
this is a team that everyone's been praising their their point differential. You know, they're plus four point four. You know, that's the second best in the East. Uh, they lose close games and and they win a lot of blowouts as well. Um, but this is a team that currently sits in eighth. They're eighteen and thirteen. They don't really have a star player. They're they're a lot like Milwaukee to me in that they're deep with a lot of pretty talented guys, but. I mean, who are, who are the two or three best players on this team? Do you really know? I mean, you could ask 10 different people and get, and get four or five different answers. Right. So, you know, they, if you look at teams that have, you know, kind of a war chest of, of assets and picks to trade, they're the team to look to first and foremost. They have obviously that unprotected Brooklyn pick. They have a couple more future picks from Brooklyn. They have a protected pick from Dallas. That's probably going to be coming their way this year as well. Uh, so they certainly have the assets to move. The question is, who are they targeting? Right, and I think they're going to swing big. I think they're going to make a move. They're going to be a buyer. Um, you know, you hear rumors with uh, Boogie Cousins, that Carmelo, c- too. Carmelo. Those, those could be. Th- I think those are legit options. I think they're going to chase guys like that who are established, you know, superstars, all-star caliber players, guys who you can build around. And then if they don't land that, then they might go with somebody. You know, try to get somebody like Jabari Parker. I think their current, the current personnel that they have, isn't good enough to win you know to to contend even for a title i don't i don't even think they get to the eastern conference finals with this group this isn't this is a a team that can function well in the regular season but when you get down to the playoffs and the the change in the style of play and we saw this even against cleveland in the playoffs last year it just doesn't work when you don't have a go-to guy right they're a pesky team and they're extremely well coached but they're not going to make much noise in the playoffs unless they pick up a star caliber player. I think they're in the situation where they don't need, they don't really need to make this decision. It's not a make or break. You know, do we, do we acquire a superstar? It's kind of a win win really. I mean, they're a good team as it is. They mm-hmm. stand to, to add maybe another piece this off season. You know, it's not, it's not like new Orleans where you have pressure from ownership to win. Now you have a star player that you want to get experience. Like, they don't really have any pressures surrounding them, and they, they can kind of sit back and, and evaluate their options. Yeah, they're only going to make a deal if it, if it makes sense for them and it makes them better both this year and long term. They won't. Danny Ainge will not have a problem waiting until the actual draft day. I mean, off season. You look. That's when he. That's when he got guys like Kevin Garnett. That's when he traded the Jeff Green pick to get Ray Allen. He's going to be able to make moves like that on the draft day or leading up to the draft, uh, regardless of what their standing is come mid February this year. All right, so what about Milwaukee? We've talked about what what a disaster they've been so far. We already talked a little bit about the Jabari trade rumors. And then if you're them, do you do you try to sell off some of your lesser assets first? You know, Bayless, Mayo's on an expiring deal. Uh, Miles Plumley. there are rumors that he's being shopped around these last few weeks. I mean, if you're them, do you just kind of embrace the the tank, I guess, at this point? I don't I don't think they do yet. Again, it, it's it's another scenario where I see them waiting another few weeks, at least until they start even evaluating that. Um, but with them. I don't think they're going to sell off the big pieces. <clears throat> I don't think they'll they'll trade anyone like Jabari. It's just going to be it's going to be guys. You know, it, it's maybe Michael Carter Williams would be. That's the one young piece that they would trade him because they've just decided we're not going to sign him long term. So let's trade him now and get as much as we can. Um, but otherwise, it's going to be guys like Mayo and Bayless, Plumley. You're not going to get anything for in return, anyways. But yeah, and those are fine guys to deal. Certainly, I mean, there's going to be interest for guys like that. I mean, there's always teams that are looking for seventh, eighth men that can score, like Mayo, or you know, be a second or third center, like Miles Plumley. But 
if you're looking at it from Milwaukee's perspective, I mean, what is that going to return? Like a late first round pick at best, you know, you're not, you're not going to get any kind of big time asset in return for those guys. So if, if you're looking for any kind of blockbuster deal, I mean, you're going to have to deal a guy like Jabari or and even MCW. I don't think, I think his value is so low at this point that it's really going to be tough to pull any kind of big return for him. Greg Monroe's name has been brought up uh, mostly because he's been such a disaster defensively. And, you know, I think he kind of gets the, the the brunt of the blame for how far Milwaukee has sunk defensively from last year. I mean, you look at who's the one guy who, who came in and everyone else was pretty much there last year uh, when they were a top five defensive team. And, you know, he signed that deal this offseason that was a guaranteed two years player option for the third. And at first it was... You know, looking at it from the Bucks' perspective, it was, you know, no, this guy can opt out after two years and maybe we should assign him to a longer deal. And I think there's a sense of relief now that it's only a two-year guaranteed deal uh, with the possibility of a third. Yeah, and it, it would be tough to find a suitor for Greg Monroe as well. I I don't think a team like Boston would be interested. Uh, Charlotte already has L. Jefferson, and we've seen where he's going. Um, there's just not a lot of teams where I think Greg Monroe's a really good fit. I mean, even teams that were interested in him this offseason, New York, Los Angeles Lakers, I don't think they would be buying on him now. No, I don't. I think his value has gone down, too. I think they've seen, you know, what, right or wrong, kind of how this Milwaukee defense has turned since he's been there. And I don't think if I think you use that in negotiations, you know, if you're if you're the Knicks and you're considering, you know, you say, hey, maybe we do have a shot at this guy. And you're talking to Milwaukee and say, you know, why would we give you X player or X pick back when look what this guy has done to your defense? So I think it's a, he's a, he's a tougher asset to move just because of that contract. And, and like you said, just the way, you know, the way that he's played, but at the same time, the Knicks are kind of set in the front court. Portland is another team that was chasing him. They're pretty much set. I don't think, I mean, the Lakers, you never really know. You can't count them out in any kind of deal like this, but I don't think they're exactly clamoring to add a player who would have one and a half years left on his deal. Would you trade him to Phoenix for Tyson Chandler and Markeith Morris? That's that's interesting. I, we, DJ and I talked about a Markeith to Milwaukee deal a couple weeks ago, and because Phoenix a, Phoenix is just Phoenix I, might do it. They would they would love to get rid of Tyson Chandler, but would they want Monroe? I mean, he's kind of he's kind of the antithesis of what they do. I, I agree, but I'm just looking at I'm looking at these teams. The Chandler and, and contract's bad. It is bad. So I I, th- I think they might get they might be willing enough to get rid of the Chandler. I don't know if they would do Markeith Morris and Chandler. Uh, well, but. maybe I don't think I don't know if Morris has much value at this point. I think they just I think they just want to get rid of him. If they can get rid of Chandler's contract, I think they'd be more than happy to throw Markeith in, right? I I, I believe so. It, I mean, I brought it up because I thought it was feasible, mm-hmm. but and I actually. It kind of it helps solve some of the issues that Milwaukee has. Yeah, I mean, it, it in theory at least it would. You know, looking for a defensive center like Chandler. I mean, he hasn't played very well this year, and that's part of the issue. And you know, I would hope that Milwaukee would kind of do its due diligence there. But if you're if they're a team that wants to kind of go all in, and uh, not even necessarily this season, but you know, next season as well, adding Markeith Morris, I, I guess accomplishes that. But I don't, I don't think that's not really a move I could see. Milwaukee making and getting, you know, getting a, a troubled guy like that. Sacramento, I think was, is interesting in that type of deal where you send, you know, maybe Brandon Knight, uh, Tyson Chandler and Markeith Morris to Sacramento for like Boogie and Ben McLemore, something like that. I I think Sacramento would need something. You don't think, you don't think Brandon Knight would be, would be enough to sweeten that? No, Brandon Knight is uh Brandon Knight is a good Okay, point guard on a but this bad is the team. Kings. No, this is the Kings. I'm, I'm telling you, Boogie. Boogie's gonna have to like get some really good return. Like you're gonna have to be. It's gonna have to be like a top three 
top three lottery pick or some future superstar. I think I don't know. If this was a normal franchise, I would 100% agree with you. But like, I don't know. Are the Kings smart enough to wait this out? I guess they have so far. I mean, this, these rumors have been swirling for probably over a year by now. They they're only trading them if, if they get. They would get multiple first round picks from Boston if they traded them to Boston. It's got to be a scenario like that, or they get some young guy with ridiculous upside. And Brandon Knight is not that. No, that's true. I mean, obviously, they. I just think they seem like the team that would want to take on Markeith Morris. I mean, if you had to pick a, a landing spot for him in a team that has a history of adding guys like that, but yeah, I mean, if you're Sacramento, you obviously want to. I think you want to get picks at this point. I don't. I don't think that. Although they, I don't know, they haven't drafted that well, and they the Rondo signing is kind of a, a win now move. They're they're a weird team. All right, let's finish out with Memphis. Uh, they're a team that's been in you know in the the NBA news these last few weeks, reportedly almost firing Dave Yeager a, a couple weeks ago. Uh, they kind of they're hanging around the six seven eight area of the Western Conference. Certainly not looking much like a contender though. Um, Zebo's a free agent after the after next season. Excuse me, Mike Conley and uh, Jeff Green up after this year. Tony Allen has one more year, so we're basically nearing the end of the the grit and grind Memphis Grizzlies. The question is, as a franchise, should Memphis put a, put an end to it, you know, sooner rather than later, or kind of let this thing play out one more year? My guess is they'll let it play out. Um, I see them re-signing Conley, so Conley and Gasol are still a part of the long-term future, in my opinion. Um, but Zebo, he's getting older. If they could move him, I think they would. It just, I don't think they would get enough in return to warrant it. They're they're going to say, let's just continue to plug along, try to win forty five to fifty games, make the playoffs, and be competitive this year and next, rather than trade him for some kind of some middling pick or a player with very little upside. I just don't think they would get enough in return to to warrant it. But I mean, with that said, his move to the bench makes it more likely that they would trade him and and accept less than than the role he had previous seasons yeah it, it's kind of crazy how far he's fallen in the matter of you know four or five months i mean this is a guy that you think the trade value was quite a bit higher at this point in the season last year than it is now and you know i think a, a gasol straight up or pal gasol that is straight up for uh, for Zach Randolph deal had been floated around, but I don't know who that really helps. You know, I, I think Randolph is kind of a copy of, of Taj Gibson in Chicago. Pau Gasol is 35, 36 years old. There's no way Chicago would do that trade. There's no way. No, I don't think they would either. If they're trying to clear space for Bobby Portis, I don't think that accomplishes that. Um, but I mean, it's, it's interesting to speculate. It, like you said, I don't know what kind of return do you get for a guy like Zach Randolph at this point, probably a middling pick or, you know, a, a Jeff green type of guy who comes in and is good enough to be maybe your fifth or sixth best player. He's 34. I mean, essentially like it would be, it would be odd if he plays beyond next season. Like he's going to be 35 at the end of his contract mm-hmm. You're not going to sign a 30. There's not many 36-year-old NBA players. Well, guys who play like him, too. Yeah. He's not a guy you can just you know kind of float around the perimeter or anything at his age. So If he signs another contract, it's going to be, a, I'm going to sign with the Spurs, David West scenario, where he signs a, a small deal with the team to try to win a championship. But he's essentially at the end of his career. Yeah, exactly. And I guess maybe it shouldn't be when, when we look back as much of a surprise as it's been, you know, that he's kind of fallen off just considering the way that he plays the game. Anything else you want to touch on? No, let's that move forward. Does it? Yeah. Um, 
Well, as we as we always are, we're sponsored by DraftKings. You can be a part of all the action all season long at DraftKings.com, the official daily fantasy basketball partner of RotoWire.com. With Daily Fantasy, you don't need to spend months micromanaging a roster. You can play whenever you want. Pick a new team every time you play. You can challenge your friends in a custom league to prove that you're the superior GM or square off against basketball fans from around the country for big prizes. Go to DraftKings.com now and enter that promo code ROTOHOOPS to play free. DraftKings, the official partner of Rotowire. Again, that's promo code ROTOHOOPS at DraftKings.com. They're going to kill the love of my life. If I don't go back to what I was doing. This Friday. Our line of work is quite brutal and quite ruthless. How far would you go for love? You steal truck, bring it to me. Then you make your money. Is it dangerous? Of course it's dangerous! Nicholas Holt, Felicity Jones, with Ben Kingsley and Anthony Hopkins. All this trouble, all this pain, for love. Collide, in theaters Friday. Rated PG-13, may be inappropriate for children under 13.